Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. Hello everyone and welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. I have such a treat for you today. One of my motivations for writing Spirit Sisters was my love of listening to personal stories about ghostly and mysterious experiences. Spirit Sisters celebrated that intimate and age-old ritual of leaning in to listen to a story, but the fact remained that I was paying homage to the oral storytelling tradition within the confines of the printed word. That's partly why it was so important to me to launch the Spirit Sisters podcast earlier this year. Here, finally, was the opportunity to widen that intimate circle of sharing so that we could all draw closer as a guest opened up about an inexplicable and often life-changing encounter. My guest today, Faye Young, is the consummate storyteller. Scottish-born and with a lifetime of mysterious experiences behind her, Faye says clairvoyance runs in her family and that being of Celtic descent, she has always considered her abilities and experiences to be an everyday part of life. Faye, who lives on the Sunshine Coast, studied English literature at the University of Queensland before giving that up to become a full-time carer for her mother. Faye cared for her mum for 20 years until her death in 2014. Today, she's busy writing a book about her lifetime of enchanting, moving, and yes, occasionally terrifying experiences. I'm thrilled to say she's going to share many of those with us today. From a childhood brush with fairies to living in haunted houses all around the world and the healing visit from her mum, Faye calls the main experience of my life, it's all coming up over the next hour or so amid lots of laughter and tears. I hope you enjoy getting to know Faye as much as I have. And remember, if you love Spirit Sisters, please rate, review and subscribe to help spread the word. Now, here's my conversation with the delightful Faye Young. Hello, Faye, and welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. Hello, nice to be here. <laughs> it's so lovely to speak again, and this is great for us because we've corresponded a lot over email and we've spoken on the phone a few times. But we've, What's happening? We've not met face to face, and now we are, thanks to technology. <laughs> So good one. It is good. So, Faye, listeners of my other podcast, The Ghost Files, will know of your story. No doubt they'll remember it. It's quite memorable. So you you shared an amazing ghost story with me in episode seven, I think it was, of The Ghost Files. So I'm going to ask you to tell that story again for anyone who hasn't heard it. But before we go into that, mm -hmm. your experiences, because there are so many of them, let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's please hear a little bit about you. Just briefly tell us about yourself and your life today. Yeah. Well, I was born in Scotland, obviously, with a, a very psychic family on both sides of my family, both my mother and father's. Came to Australia when I was about 31, 32, and um, 
I've been, I worked as a carer. I looked after my mother for many, many years. And I'm now retired. I'm writing my book. Yes, I'm writing a book. <laughs> ah, good one, good one. Well, uh, we'll talk more about that. And I can understand oh. why you are writing a book. Having, got, having gotten to know you over the last <laughs> few months, you have stories coming out of everywhere, Faye. <laughs> I know. I try to take notes and then it's too much and I think, oh. <laughs> So let's go back to Scotland and when you were a little girl, what are your earliest memories of Scotland and your introduction to the spirit world? Well, my parents both meditated. I think that was unusual back then, I mean, this is 70 odd years ago. And um, they were meditating when I was born. So my mother used to meditate with me in her lap. And I've often wondered you know, if that might have had an influence on me too. And my father actually was the one who started, um, he wanted to uh, do a spiritual development thing and he went, he went to the spiritualist church where you could join a circle to develop spiritually. And he must have gone for a long time because he was in a closed group. Anyway, he actually got a fright one night there and he didn't go back. But he asked my mother if she would meditate with him because you can develop through meditation. And she agreed. And so she started to develop and became a really, really good healer. So my memories were, well, I don't remember the meditating, but I do remember the chat, general talk in the house. I had an uncle, my mum's brother used to come in a lot and um they talked about these sort of things, what they'd seen. My mother would discuss what she'd seen in meditation. And it was just general talk in the house. Um, I, didn't, I just thought it was normal that everybody, everybody spoke like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't pay much attention to it, really. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny, Faye. And as you say, it is very, I mean, I would imagine that that was indeed quite rare to have both parents meditating, you know, mm. going back 70 years to the time of your birth or roughly the time of your yeah, birth. It's extra- and before. Uh-huh. It sounds extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just took it as normal. Um, and so that's why there was no great fear, I suppose. Um, it's just a, My mum used to talk about an auntie of hers and she said, oh, she was really good. You could go and visit her and, you know, she would just, in general conversation, she could say, you know, something like, oh, I see you've applied for a, a new job with so-and-so. Yeah, well, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't take that job um, because there's a better one coming up. Just wait a week or two. And she, she said she just spoke like that. That was normal. Wow. <laughs> I actually met her a medium in Scotland and took my husband at the time to go and visit her and she was the exact same. When we left she said we hadn't talked about ourselves or that we had two sons and she said yes you better go now because your mother-in-law who was babysitting is wondering where you are. Uh, you know she's been left with the two boys and she also said you know that carpet that you've laid on your stairs that was the stairs up to the bedroom uh she said you haven't put the rods on the stairs to hold them in place and she said so get back there and get it fixed because you are going to take a header down those stairs and really hurt yourself and we left saying 
how did she know he put a cap on the stairs? Yeah, things like that all the time. Oh, wow. It really Constant. is amazing. And there is a lovely story that you shared with me in one of our conversations about um, a fairy tree as well, which is quite lovely. It seems from, from our discussion it might be one of your earliest memories of spirit. That would be the earliest one. Okay. Yeah. Um, when I was about five, I'd say. And I used to play with my two cousins, and they were a bit younger. You know, we'd be like five, four, three, something like that. And we used to go up to, um, it was called the Dick Institute in Kilmarnock, which was a library, and it had bushes, you know, all around it. And we used to go and play in there and play at houses and things, and it was near where I lived. Anyway, one day we were in the bushes, and we came across a big oak tree with a huge trunk and uh, had an opening to get in that looked like a doorway. And I said to my cousins, oh, look, it's a fairy tree. It's a house, a fairy's house. And the fairy has gone away on holiday and she's let us, oh, left the door open so we can play in here. And I said, she's magic the furniture away so that we don't touch our furniture. So we went inside. I mean, there were three of us playing inside this tree trunk all day there was even a sort of it was like stairs there was another level higher up like a bedroom anyway we were in there all day and it got it was um it, it became dark we were still in that tree and we didn't even know it was dark which i think back on now and think it must have been how could it have been light inside the tree and mm. dark outside but we eventually heard our parents uh you know we always had to be home before it got dark and we hadn't arrived, so they were really worried, and they were walking up and down the street looking for us. And um, so we ran out of the tree and away down the street, and my aunt and uncle took my two cousins, you know, home. They said, where have you been? And my father walked quietly up to me, and he took my hand, and he said, where have you been all day? And I said, oh, Dad, we've been playing in a fairy's house, and the fairy let us play in there. So he said, oh, okay. Um, anyway, in the morning, he took my hand again and he said, would you take me and show me this fairy's house? I'd really like to see it. And I said, yes, I was thrilled to bits. So we went back up there and um, I ran into the bushes where the tree had been and there was no tree there. Mm. And uh, I ran up and down all over the place. I was really upset about it because... I hated my father to think I'd lied to him and made it up. Yeah. Um, and in my house, my parents were very much sort of, um, well, you can do what you like as long as you don't lie, ever, ever lie to us. That's the most important thing. Always be honest. So I was really worried that he thought, oh, she's making this up. But he took my hand and walked back down the road. And I said, Dad, it really was there. And he said, oh, yes, don't worry, I believe you. Mm. And he did believe me. Ah, yes, the Irish and their fairies. That is um, such a beautiful story. And I mm. love that you've basically manifested my favourite childhood story, the magic faraway tree. Like it feels like you got to have a play in it, Faye. How fortunate. <laughs> um, it was wonderful. Yeah, it's, it sounds, I mean, you, you've transported us all there with that story. Thank you. So what part do you believe your Celtic spirituality 
or sorry, your Celtic heritage, I guess, play? Mm. What part does that play in everything that you've experienced and seen over the years? Well, I do think um, the Celts tend to have this running in family. It's not just mine. I think, you know, there'll be a lot of other families who have this in the family. I mean, because I used to talk to friends. I mean, nobody ever seemed surprised about ghost stories or anything. You know, I would say to one, oh, I saw this whatever one day. And I can remember one of the men saying to me, oh, I know how you feel. I was driving down the road the other night and I looked in my car mirror and there was an old lady sitting in the back seat. He said, I nearly drove off the road. But he said, when I got home, I talked to my parents about it and they brought photos out and they were saying, is this her, is this her? And he said it was my, I can't remember if it was his grandmother or great-grandmother, but he, he hadn't known her. And he said, that's her. She was sitting in the back seat of my car. So... You know, it was sort of just chatted about. It does run down families. I, I spoke to, actually, it was a guy who was a druid once, and I, I told him about my family, and he said, well, he said, you're the kind of person I'm looking for to join my group um, because I can't be bothered with the normal person. He said, because nothing happens to them and they don't see anything. But he said, when it's in someone's family, he said, I know I can develop that. Mm. So there you go. It, it is such a bit in the Scots and the, the Irish yes. very much too. Yes, that word fey, yeah. which is your name and uh, uh, well, a short, yeah. short version of your name and also your mother's. But the word oh, fey is, um, it means, I heard today in a podcast, it means one with spirit. So to be mm-hmm. one with this other realm, you know, as, you, as you're implying in everything you've shared so far, it's like yeah. there is no separation between that world yeah. and ours. For you, there's not. Yeah, I, I think it's only. I once I was at a oh, it was a, a spiritual meeting meeting where this really good psychic was. Uh, he was doing readings and he pointed me and my mother and Christopher, my son, out, and he said, "There is a very thin veil between you three and the next world," mm. and um, and that's how we've always felt that. They're just right there beside us all the time. It's not, you know, they're not any, they're not far away. <laughs> I've certainly gathered that knowing you over the last few months, Faye, and also getting to know Chris now as well, who was uh, also a guest on my Ghost Files podcast. Yes, um, yes. I absolutely agree with what that medium said. And mm. that is why I wanted to have you on the show today because yeah. you've got so much to offer. And I think even mm. beyond your personal story, the idea of embracing again Celtic spirituality or just whatever you know faith or creed you are I think we've got so much to benefit you know from doing that Mm. just their connection with the land and the earth and their reverence their reverence of the earth I love that and I feel like you know Mm. perhaps we've gone awry not revering the earth and nature you know true yeah absolutely Uh, I knew another woman actually when I worked in a nursing home and I she was a nurse and she was saying to me that she was English actually and she said she's always seen fairies. She said if she goes away out in the country, she can see fairies. I know it sounds crazy, but see I believed her immediately. Yes. <laughs> I had a cousin who and he was an adult and he told me that um when he was a child he used to play with the fairies in the garden and he wasn't being silly or funny, he was deadly serious. Yeah. So um yeah. 
But no, I guess no. with um, with that veil being thin, you can see pretty much everything and a lot of what's out there is, or perhaps not a lot, but there are some things that are a little bit frightening to see or very frightening to see. And I know, Faye, oh, that yes. you've experienced various levels of that. Going back yes. to there's one experience that you shared with me when you were very little, around nine years old mm. at home, which was frightening. That was my first frightening experience. Not frightening, terrifying. Yeah. I was absolutely terrified. Um, I shared a room with my sister um, and we slept in the same bed. Um, and the room was an L shape. So I couldn't see round the corner uh, from where my head was. I, I couldn't see round that corner into the other the part of the L. And, and well, as a child, I never wakened up through the night. Um, I was always, you know, sound asleep. My mother would have to come up and wake me in the morning. <laughs> but this particular night, I wakened up. I don't know what the time was. It was very late. It was dark. There was no sound of cars or anything. So it must have been very late at night. Anyway, I'd lay there, lay there in my bed. And I was looking around the room. So I was awake. There was a, a street light outside um, my window, basically, uh, on, the, well, on the street, uh, that shone into the bedroom. So I could see, you know, where we, we hung our clothes over a chair, for example. And, you know, I was just lying looking round when I suddenly heard the most horrible laughter. Um, and it was echoing in the room and it was round this L and uh, oh, I was terrified and uh, I became paralysed. I wasn't paralysed when I wakened up. Mm. I became paralysed and I couldn't move and my mother had told me if ever I had a bad experience or anything to say, you know, to say the Lord's Prayer and to say, get thee behind me, Satan and stuff like that. It sounds crazy. But um, I then said, in my head, get thee behind me, Satan. And this and this thing was burst out laughing. And it was really evil laughter. And I thought, oh, my God, the, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I lay and I said the Lord's Prayer and it laughed harder. didn't work. And it was, I thought it was the devil. I actually believed 100% it was the devil. And... Uh, he was saying, oh, you know, come with me. I'm here for you. You come with me and this sort of thing. And I was saying in my head, I'm not coming, I'm not coming, I'm not coming. And he, in the end, he said, um, I'll, I'll get you in the end. Mm. Well, oh, I, I can't tell you how terrifying it was. Mm. And the prayer didn't work. And I thought, well, how am I going to get rid of this thing? And I thought, if I waken my sister, I felt it was almost like a spell, and if I got her to waken up, it would disappear, that it wouldn't want to be heard by somebody else. So somehow, eventually, I got my hand to move, and I grabbed the back of her nightdress, and she wakened up, and she was furious. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing waking me up? And I said, oh, the devils are here. The devil's here. And, of course, she said, oh, go to sleep. Don't be silly. There's no devil here. But it did break the spell, and, um, and it all went away. But 
I'm going to talk about it because I know people will say, oh, it was a dream, you have these nightmares when you're a child. But I know I was wide awake mm. and uh, and it terrified the life out of me and, and when and changed my, influenced my life, let's say, really, really influenced my life. That after that, I had this thing that the devil was going to get me and that I always had to lead a good life so mm. that he couldn't come back and get me. And I remember <clears throat> saying to my mother in the morning, I told her about it, and, uh, you know, she said to me, when the devil said to go with him, what did you say? And I said, I said I wouldn't go. And she said, there you are then, you've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> wow, she sounds like she was so wise, your mum. Oh, I would have oh, loved to very, have met her. Yeah, quiet, <laughs> yeah. it's all right, don't you? I always felt so safe with my parents, you know, really safe and protected. And if my mother said it was all right, it was all right. But um, I've never forgotten it. Uh, The fear was awful. What do you, all these years later, what do you put that down to, that experience? What do you think it was? I think it was demonic. I've had other, um, probably another two, I can't remember, three demonic experiences. I've seen a... Uh, an incubus, and I know other people. I've talked to it with other people who also have seen seen it. And um, one was a, a minister of the church, believe yeah. it or not, and she also counselled people. Do you think, Faye, that that openness of yours and that you know that yeah. thin veil is behind these experiences so you're able to see sort of the spectrum of energies just like the world just like in our living planet our living lives we can be in touch with people who are you know can perhaps be of a darker energy and others that are more positive so do you think it's that openness yes and I, i think just as there's you know, there's light, there's dark, there, you know, there's there's love, there's hate, there's white, there's black. Everything has an opposite. And if, if you can see sort of angelic types of people, which my mother used to see, I believe there's also demonic beings. And um, I was told once by someone, there's a, oh, there's a kind of secret society called the Brotherhood of Light. Maybe I shouldn't say this. But I wrote to them once for healing because and I told them that I'd had these experiences and they said to me in fact often the the demonic realm is attracted to light so they said don't think it's you that comes across as evil or something they said it's the light that attracts them so that made me feel better (laughs) Yes, yes, and I've I've read I've read um, words to that effect as well, uh-huh. and I mean it's like, you know, people who have psychic mediumship abilities are said to shine like lights to the to people that are in spirit, and they will be drawn That's to right. them like the proverbial moth to the flame. I guess it's That's the same right. kind of idea that they yeah. can see you too. Everyone can see you, Faye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what other stories stand out from your time in Scotland? And when did you leave Scotland? Oh, I was about, I left Scotland in 1997. I was about, I was in my late 20s. I can't remember exactly. I was in my late 20s when I left. My brother had um, plantations in the Solomon Islands and Guadalcanal. And um, I was divorced and with two sons. And he took me and my sons and my mother 
to live in Honiara, which is the capital of Guadalcanal. And, uh, you know, it was like at that time, it was like going to heaven. It's a real tropical island. Mm. Even the air smelled like perfume. There was frangipani lined the street. Very, very laid back, you know. Uh, it, it was lovely. But um, what did you say, other experiences in yes. Scotland? Did yes, you say? that stand out to you, that are significant. Um, well, as a child, I used to hear music playing in my room. That was another child experience. And it was quite loud. And I used to lie, when I went to bed at night, I used to listen to it. And it was a full orchestra absolutely beautiful and playing it sounded the same as some um, Strauss waltzes mm-hmm. I could hear the violins coming in and all the different parts of the orchestra it, oh, it was just absolutely it was beautiful loved it mm-hmm. I had a, not so much as a child I had a oh well when I was first married and my first son was born I um I took him out for a walk one day in the pram and it was don't know what you call them now. It's one of these kind of prams where you could pull the the pram out off the wheels, you know. When I got back home, I pulled it out and I, he was sound asleep and I put him on the table and it was a cold day and I had a fire on and I was tired and I lay on the rug in front of the fire and I was a bit worried because um, oh, we had owned our own house then. We were paying a big mortgage and everything and we were very young. And I got a letter saying that oh, it was the electricity bill. And I can't remember if it was the whole electricity bill or I was short, but I was £30 short. And this is years ago. And um, I, I thought, oh, gosh, I don't have that. And I, I was so worried. I thought, how am I going to pay this bill? And as I laid the fire, the fire had a surround and bookshelves, and I had books on the shelves, and they started to fall from side to side, bang to one side, over to the other side. And I was half asleep watching it until it dawned on me that the books couldn't be doing that and on. And then the room filled with pipe tobacco smoke. And my son wakened and he started to scream the place down. And I had been told by this medium that if anything strange like that happened in the house, not to be scared, but to understand that someone had come to, uh, to make themselves known to me, which is all right to say that. I was scared. <laughs> and I thought, and I sort of said, if anybody's there, I said, could you please give me £30? Sounds <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Man. But then, you wouldn't believe this, the phone rang. And it was my husband at work. And and I said, oh, thank goodness you phoned. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm just feeling a bit spooky in the house alone. And, of course, he said, oh, don't be silly. He said, listen, I've got some good news. He said, I just got an extra £30 in my wage packet this week. Oh, wow, I <laughs> love it. Such, yeah. Oh, that's so good. How did you feel when he said that? Well, I went back into the room and I said, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> and do you feel like that tobacco smoke was a reminder of somebody that you'd known? 
somebody my in your, your grandfather smoked a pipe. Yeah. I don't know if it was him. Okay. My father smoked a pipe too, but he wasn't dead at that point. Okay. But, uh, you know, everybody smoked then. Yes. But it was definitely pipe tobacco. Mm. And um, so I thought, oh, maybe it was my grandfather then. He had, he was loaded. He had a lot of money. So 30 pounds was nothing to him. Yeah. <laughs> good on your granddad. That's a good one. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's great, Faye. And so I know that before you came to Australia, as you mentioned earlier, you lived in the Solomon Islands and mm. you had you had quite an amazing experience in a house there. I sure did. Uh, I had one or two experiences. Uh, a short one, I went with some friends of mine. They went diving. You know, that's where there was um, the Guadalcanal, Battle of Guadalcanal, actually. There was a lot of um, old tanks and all sorts of stuff there. And um, I went with some friends who were divers, and they went diving, and I decided to lie on the beach and sunbathe. And I was lying there, and I heard somebody walk up behind me, which was really weird because it was we were on a deserted beach. There was nobody there. But I heard someone, and I thought, oh, where did this person come from? And I pretended I was asleep because I thought, oh, just leave me alone. But he came up and said to me, well, hello there, in this American voice. <laughs> and I didn't open my eyes. I thought, no, I'm going to pretend I'm sleeping. So I, I didn't move. And so he was standing behind my head. And he, he said again, I said, hello there. So I thought, oh, I better be friendly. So I sat <laughs> up and looked around, and there was nobody there. So I thought, I bet you that was a soldier who was killed here in the war. And then I thought, there's probably loads of them, because that island at the time, it was like heaven. It kind of reminds me of Bali High is calling. <laughs> and I thought, they probably think they're in heaven. They're all still living here quite happily, maybe. Oh, what a thought. Yeah. But anyway, no, the, um, I had met Bill by this time, who's Christopher's father. And he and that's your third son, your youngest son, Christopher. Yeah, the that, youngest yeah. one. Yeah. And um, he, Bill was uh, tall and really well built, very muscled, you know, and he, oh, he had beautiful legs. <laughs> and he was Australian, and I thought, oh, these Australian men have all got lovely legs. <laughs> all the women fancied him. But um, we rented a house in what's called Cola Ridge, and um, Honiara, and moved in with my two sons. And oh, I can't remember how long we were there, maybe a few weeks or something. And we were all in bed one night when, I, you know, I'm quite a light sleeper. And um, I heard someone kicking the door with boots, heavy boots, crash, crash, and got loud and loud and crash, crash, crash. And then the door seemed to crash open. And by then I wakened Bill and I said, oh, we're, we're being burgled. Listen, listen. And he heard it. And he jumped up and he was still in the bedroom. And then we heard, oh, he, by the way, he was a really good martial artist as well. Mm. Very laid back guy, but oh, I wouldn't have liked to get into a fight with him. Yeah, so yeah. He was waiting at the door. We heard the footsteps clumping um, up the hallway to where the bedrooms were. And they stopped outside our bedroom door. So Bill threw the door open and jumped out. And there was nobody there. And the door was shut. And we thought, well, that's weird. And after another week or so, 
the exact same thing happened again. Uh, he jumped out. We got ready for battle. There was nobody there. And, I mean, it was very, very loud, the door being kicked in. So uh, after a while again, we decided one Saturday, I think it was, to go down to the yacht club there. We used to go and meet our friends. Everybody went to the yacht club. And um, I always took my sons. They played with their friends there. And this time, Jamie said to me, oh, Mum, I don't want to go. He was about 11. And I'm not going. I want to watch a video. And in the end, we said, OK, but lock the door. I mean, really, they were safe, but you never know. So we said, lock the door and we won't be long. So we went down to the yacht club and it was a group of friends and we started chatting to them. And this couple came up and um, the guy was an American and he had a Solomon Island girlfriend. And they come up and said, are you guys living in that house up in Kola Ridge? And we said, yes. And they said, we were in it before you and we had to move out. They said, don't you hear the ghost? And they said, the doors kicked open. And they said, we were so terrified in that house, we had to move out. So we said, well, actually, yes, it's happened to us a couple of times too. So um, this woman uh, who was part of the group said, you know, when you talk about these things, it often happens. You know, it'll make it happen again. Oh, no, no. No, before that, she said to me, there's an old priest um, sitting at a table over there, and he's lived here for 20 years. And she said, if anything happened in that house, he'll know. So I went over and I said, do you mind if I join you? And told him that we thought there was something had happened in that house and asked if he knew the house. And he said, oh, oh, yes, I know that house. He said, a Solomon Island girl used to live in that house. And... Her uncle, she had an uncle who really fancied her. And he had come round one night to see her and she was scared of him and she wouldn't let him in. So he kicked the door open and came into the house, caught her in the kitchen, raped her, mm. murdered her, butchered her. Oh, my gosh. And then walked down the corridor where the bedrooms were. And I said, yes, and then he came into our bedroom and he said, no, he didn't. He said, opposite your bedroom door uh, is a bathroom. And I said, that's right. And he said, he went into the bathroom and washed all the blood off and ran away. So I said, so his ghost's haunting the house. And he said, he said, no, it's not his ghost. He said, he's in prison. Prison? Yeah. And um, I said, and he had heavy boots on, which, I mean, the islanders, had bare feet or thongs. So did I, actually. We never wore shoes. And he said, well, he worked for the electricity company, and that was part of his uniform, and that's how you heard the heavy boots in the house. And um, so, anyway, I thought, well, how weird. And I was, I was particularly couldn't understand how we were hearing this guy, mm. and he was still alive. But we sort of decided later it was the girl who was actually telling the story of her death, what had happened to her. And um, anyway, I went back and told the friends this is what he'd said, and this that's when the woman again said, look, you should go home, because when you talk about these things, it often stirs it up and makes it happen. So we jumped in the car, and we went flying back home. We just got into the driveway, and Jamie, my son, came, oh, the door crashed open and he ran out 
He looked absolutely terrified, and he was clutching a bread knife. And he shouted, Mum, Mum! He said, after you'd gone, he said, someone came round, and he said, they kicked the door open, and he said, they came up the corridor, and he said, they're in your bedroom, because that's where the footsteps stopped. And he said, I managed, before they managed to kick the door down, he said, I got a bread knife, and he said, I've been hiding under the bed in my room till you got back. Oh, it was a terrible scene. Mm, Of course, we went in, and I said, there's nobody there, don't worry, there's nobody there. Of course, there was nobody there. Yeah. Did the noises stop after uh, you... You acknowledge this and perhaps acknowledge that, you know, that the yeah. girl possibly was telling her story? Yes, we actually, Bill and I sat late that night and we said, okay, we understand what happened to you. We know what happened to you. Uh, you know, how awful, what a terrible, terrible thing happened to you. But you can move on now. Mm. It's okay, move on. And it didn't happen again while we were there, but. We we went there a lot longer. We came to Australia after that, but um, but uh, that was really weird. That is very strange, and it's a very it's a very vivid account, and it's just amazing mm. how all the pieces align. You know that you yeah. happened to be able to talk to that priest who had a, knew That's was right. an eyewitness to what had happened, and then mm-hmm. you were oh wow, all the pieces mm. fell into place. <laughs> try and find out if something strange happened I, I do like to try and find out if it's you know, get some evidence and some proof yes. that you know it's true that it's just not we're not making it up or you didn't dream it it actually happened and yeah. of course Faye that curiosity of yours and that seeking confirmation is also a hallmark of the the story that you told me on the ghost files podcast um that you Mm. were able to then find out the identity of the of the apparition that you'd seen before we go into that so just so that i can get the chronology straight so you were in the solomon islands then you Mm. moved to australia i know at at Mm. one point perhaps later down the track you lived in england for a while in a cottage I know that was before. Oh, that was before. Uh, That was before I went to the Solomon Islands, before Ah, I was in Australia. Okay. Yeah, when I had Jenny and Robbie, who actually it was was just before we moved to the Solomon Islands, Ah. and they were, I don't know, they would have been about five and seven uh, around that sort of age. You picked up on somebody in in your home there as well, (laughs) but a much more benevolent spirit. Yeah, and it's usually connected to a house for me. My sister and husband and her family had all moved to England to this little village and my mother and father moved there. So I went there and rented. Oh, it was absolutely beautiful. It was a woman who had a huge mansion house and it had adjoined to it was another house which had been servants' quarters at one time. Mm. And... um, Oh, it was the loveliest cottage. I just loved it. And I had it upstairs. And it had a lovely atmosphere. What was the village, Faye? Potto, it was called. So, Potto? <laughs> how, how do you spell that? Potty. <laughs> it sounds potty. <laughs> P-O-T-T-O. Okay. That's like G-O-G-O. <laughs> P-O-T-T-O. Okay. I'm just going to I'm gonna look it up later. Okay. You can, yeah, it's on the internet. Yeah. You can look up. Uh, the house was called Potto Hall. Potto Hall. Okay, great. Oh, I'll see if there's uh, anything. I, I'd like to see a picture of the beautiful manor there house. There is. Yeah. I looked it up because I got the picture and I put it in my book, but since I had the problems with my computer, it disappeared. Oh. But 
I, I will try and put it back on. It's, um, you can see, well, on the photo that I put on, you can see the main hall and you can see at the back the house that was adjoined at servants' quarters. Where you lived. So, uh-huh. And yeah. it was also a house at the end of the driveway. That was where the gardener, it was a beautiful cottage too, gardener and his wife lived. Anyway, um, when we first moved there, the boys, I gave them this um, bedroom at the front of the house. And, you know, it had one of these, you know, the slanted ceiling, uh, mm. the roof came down and, uh, and a window that went right down to the floor. Oh, I just loved that room. Anyway, uh, when we, that was the boys' room. They had twin beds in there. And, um, but when I used to go up the stairs to the bedrooms, I used to see a man just as he closed the door into that bedroom. But he was young when I saw him and he had black hair and he wore a black leather jacket. And at the time I thought that looks like, I think they wore black leather jackets in, when they worked for the railways back then. I'm not sure, but I recognise it as a work jacket. Mm. Anyway, it was a sort of black leather jacket. And I'd see him just as he turned to go in the room and he closed the door. Also, at the, just as you got to the top of the stairs, there was a light there that didn't work. And it just, it wasn't the light bulb or anything. It, it wasn't connected somehow in the wall or whatever, but it just did never, didn't work, never worked. Anyway, one morning I went to get the boys up to go to school and they said to me, Mum, who is that man that comes into our room and stands at the end of the bed looking at us? Wow, my gosh. So I thought, oh, it must be the guy with the leather jacket. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, I don't know. I said, did you see him? Oh, yes, he comes in and he he just looks at us. I said, oh, well, okay. He's not doing any harm. Don't worry about it. And then another, I don't know if this was him, and I don't think it would be, because the place had the loveliest atmosphere. But my sister came round one day, and we were sitting in the kitchen, and she was saying to me, she was talking about my father's mother, and she said, oh, she was a very strong woman, you know, but she had a big family. She, you know, kept every everyone under control and, and this sort of thing. My sister was actually only about three years old when she died, so I don't know how she knew all this, but anyway, <laughs> she was saying that. And I had this, uh, it was a spice rack nailed to the wall, I might add, uh, with spices in it. And she said, oh, she was a very strong woman, you know. And this spice rack flew off the wall right across the room and hit the opposite wall Gosh. and fell to the floor. And there was this deadly silence, and I said to my sister, I don't think she liked you saying that. (laughs) (laughs) What did your sister say? She didn't say much. (laughs) She just that. And then you you put the kettle on after that. Uh, Oh, we were sitting having a cup of tea. So I don't think that was um, my house ghost. He was a lovely man. And um, (laughs) I used to go into the boys' room and, you know, make the beds and say, I know you're in here. (laughs) <laughs> but the gardener, I was outside one day and the gardener was there. And I went up and I said, can you tell me, you know, who lived in that um, cottage before us? Was there anybody special? And she said, he said, um, 
oh, there was a man who lived there called Mr. Strickland. And he said he was very famous. He was well known, he said, because he that was his bedroom up there, he said, pointing to the correct bedroom. And he said, you know, he died. He didn't die until he was 103. And he said he, that was his room up there. And he said, oh, he's a, a lovely man. I said, oh, thank you. So I used to go in when I made the, boy, the boys' beds in the morning. I used to say, good morning, Mr. Strickland. How are you today? And I'd say, oh, isn't this a lovely room? You must you must have loved living in this room. And I used to chat on oh, nonsense. <laughs> and then when we left that house, and this is when, you know, we were about due to go to Solomon Islands, I was walking down, you know, we just, sort of checking there was nothing left in the rooms that sort of thing and I was walking down the stairs to the front door and Jamie and Robbie were walking behind me and sudden and oh and I said oh we better say goodbye to Mr Strickland so we all (laughs) waved and said bye Mr Strickland and thank you so much for letting us live here and um and we said we 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 just loved it here but you've got the house all back to yourself Mm. now and the light went on at the top of the stairs. We just stared at it. And I said to Robbie, who was the last in the queue, I said, Robbie, switch the light off. I mean, I was only in my 20s then. Too. Yeah, yeah. And he switched the light off and it went back on. So he switched it off and it went back on. And I sort of let out how I went oh and I ran down the stairs and the boys were running behind me and we were virtually fighting each other to go out the front door I mean I'm really embarrassed to say that I fought my son <laughs> to get out first <laughs> but um and then we waved to the window when we left you know but uh yeah Oh, well, that's a, that's a great one. Yes, I wanted to, I just couldn't figure mm. out if you'd lived in England at some point after coming to Australia or not. No, so now, that was I, before. <laughs> okay. Oh, so is that when you also saw an amazing, amazingly lifelike apparition of a man in a pub when you were in England and you scared the waitress? No, that was Australia. Oh, and, that was Australia. Um, okay. So up, up in the range, you know, the hinterland of the Sunshine Coast, and there was a... There still is, I think, a restaurant there, but it's changed hands a few times since then. I mean, this is oh, 20 years ago or a bit more. And um, I went with a friend to a restaurant near Mullaney, actually, uh, up in the Sunshine Coast. And um, we went in and had dinner. You know, after a while, I saw a man. Uh, he opened the front door and he came in. He had a little white dog with him, like a, a white Scottish terrier it looked like to me and it wasn't on a lead or anything it um it ran after him you know it was like walked at his heel and he came in and he stood there was a sort of counter where you paid your bill sort of thing and he hung around there for a bit and stood and and I thought he's waiting and someone either showing him to a table or something but I thought it was odd he had a dog with him in a restaurant, but anyway. Yes, I think that's what say. made me think it was in England. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it was here. Yeah. It was strange. And uh, and after a while, uh, he clearly decided nobody was going to serve him. So there were um, swing doors into the kitchen. So he went in there with the dog and he disappeared in there. 
And just a minute after that, the waitress came up and, um, you know, said, do you want anything else or something? And I said, didn't you see that man um, come in? He was clearly looking for someone to serve him. And I said, he stood there for ages and he's gone into the kitchen now. And she said, she said, I didn't see him. She said, well, what did he look like? And I described this man. He had dark hair. I would have said in his late 30s, probably. And I said, he had um, nice, you know, a nice build. And I said, he had a, a little white, like a little white Scotty dog, a white terrier. And she let out a scream. Oh. And she went, don't say that. And I didn't know what she was talking about. I mean, it was totally real to me. And I said, what, what's wrong? And she said he was one of the owners of this place, and she said he recently committed suicide. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I said, oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> and to you, he oh. looked absolutely like a flesh and blood man. Totally real. And um, that's what I usually see. Mm. Um, in fact, sometimes I've wondered, maybe I've been with ghosts someplace else, and I didn't even know. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know there were that's, that's likely from from other ladies that have, share some of your talents that I've spoken to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you look yeah, completely real. So wow. So now the story is um, your story has taken us to Australia. Now you're living in Australia. So I gather you came with your ex husband Bill to Australia because mm. he, he was Australian. Yeah. yeah. And so the the story that you told us on the Ghost Files was set in the Sunshine Coast as well where you were living in a house with your mum and your, oh. your younger son, Christopher. Yes, and this is, yeah. this is absolutely an astonishing story for many reasons, but why don't you begin to tell us what happened? <laughs> there were a lot of things happened in that house. Before that, when I lived in a house in Ipswich, actually, and I had an old lady in there that used to stroke my hair. And one of the neighbours told me, uh, I said, who lived in that house? And he said, Oh, it's an old lady and she loved children. She used to stroke her hair. (laughs) Just by the way. By the way, Um, yes. Another one of your your friends. um, Yes, this place uh, up in the hinterland, it was a Queenslander and it was um, uh, sat in about an acre. There there were lots of things that happened there. Uh, I can't think when we first moved in. Well, I think the first thing I saw was a woman I thought was my mother. Um, I was in the kitchen one morning uh, making toast and a cup of coffee, and I was really sort of looking down at that. But you know how you can look down and you still see someone coming towards you? Yeah. And I saw a person I thought was my mother with a long, could have been a long dress, it could have been a long night dress, but it was um, a light white colour. And she was coming down the corridor to the kitchen, and I thought, oh, it's my mum. Well, I better make her some toast as well. <laughs> and she came up to where I was and started to come round, like, into the, round the bench, into the kitchen where I was. And that's when I actually looked directly at her, and there was nobody there. Mm. She vanished. And then oh, a while later, um, Christopher... Well, my bedroom was off the dining room and Christopher was sitting there uh, doing homework one night and um, and he came through and he looked in the door into the lounge. I was watching TV and he said, oh, are you, you are in here watching TV. And I said, yes. And he said, 
well, who's that woman in the long white dress that's in your bedroom there? <laughs> oh, no. But a lot of weird things. I walked into my wardrobe one year, and I walk in wardrobe, and this wind, there was no windows in it or anything. It was in the middle of the house. Blew right past me and out the door. But are you, um, you're talking about um, this boy, I know. Um, we um, Yes, I wakened up one morning, and there was a boy kneeling beside my bed, looking into my face and grinning at me. And he was a nice, nice looking boy and he had black curly hair. And I thought he's about 15 or 16 years old. I could only sort of see him through his shoulders. And um, I know you said before, what was he wearing? It must just have been a t-shirt or something, nothing mm. outstanding. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see his legs or anything. But because he was grinning, it kind of spooked me. I mean, I suppose it's odd to open your eyes and see somebody in your face grinning at you. Yes. It gave me a fright. And I jumped out of bed and I said, oh, oh, don't, don't grin at me. Don't grin at me. It's spooky. And I put my hands sort of over my eyes. And when I looked back, he'd gone. So uh, oh, about a week later, my mother came, got out of bed and she came through and she said to me, um, oh, I had a really strange experience this morning. And she, she said, um, I opened my eyes and there was a boy kneeling beside my bed. Oh, and amazing. I said, oh, was he grinning at you? And she said, no, he was just looking at me. And then, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, Christopher came through same story. He said, you know, there was a boy kneeling beside my bed when I opened my eyes this morning. And I said, must be the same boy. I mean, all the descriptions were of this same boy. Anyway, yeah, I'd forgotten Christopher saw him another day. I was watching TV in the lounge and Christopher came through and he said, oh, don't look now, Mum, he said, but there's that boy lying on the couch watching the TV. And he doesn't remember saying this, but I do specifically. He said, oh, he just pulled his legs up and tucked his feet underneath him. Anyway. He was getting comfortable. Um, he enjoyed yeah, He enjoyed your yeah. company, all of you, yeah. He absolutely did. And I think that's why he was there. And he decided to show himself yeah. to us that he wanted accept he wanted to be accepted in the family. And right. I think because probably because Christopher was there, yes. he thought oh, he's a friend. Yes. How <laughs> old was Christopher at the time? Late teens. This okay. boy was sixteen, so Christopher could have been seventeen, eighteen, yes. or something like that. Anyway. It is astonishing uh, to think you all three of you saw the same apparition. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't obviously know how exactly how rare it is, but anecdotally speaking, at least, it would be quite rare for that to happen, well, I think. Well, I can tell you, I, my parents had a hotel in Scotland, which was really haunted, really, really haunted. And there was probably two, six of us sitting in the lounge room, uh, and there was a... Uh, a glass door and the front door opened and a man came in it was that frosted glass man came in the front door which was locked by the way mm. the whole place had been locked up walked past the frosted door went way up the stairs and into a bedroom up there and my brother and my father said who is that followed him up there and uh, he went into our bedroom and shut the door, and they went in, and there was nobody. There. Oh my goodness! So you <laughs> all that, saw him. We all saw six of us. So I mean, for, it's just quite normal, quite common. Quite really. normal. Yeah. So then, yes, the boy. Then uh, this woman came round 
I didn't know it. She came around to visit me. And anyway, I told her about what had happened with this boy in the house. And what a coincidence, she said, well, she said, you know, I could maybe find out who he was because I married into the family that used to own this place. And she said, originally it was a farm. And she said, it's been subdivided, you know. She said, uh, yeah, it used to be a, a farm. And she said, oh, I'll go and ask the family if they know who um, who the boy could be. So I didn't see it again. It must have been oh, a good couple of weeks later. I was at the post office and she was there and she came up and said, oh, I've been meaning to come and see you. She said, I know who the boy was. And she told me his name, which I better not say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But she told me his name and she said um, he was, he invited school friends there. When it, she said it was when it was a farm and he invited school friends there to play one weekend. And they, uh, they were taking turns driving the tractor <clears throat> and he, I'm guessing maybe he was shown off or something, but he had driven quickly across the field. There was a great big ditch. He rolled the tractor and he was killed. And looked like the boy, and he was 16. So uh, I've no doubt that's who it was. And it sounds almost like, so when you first begin to describe the story, how you saw him so close to your face grinning, Mm. it really sounds almost like a prank, like a teenage prank. You know, teenagers are always pulling pranks on each other. (laughs) And you're the only one that saw him smiling or grinning, as you say. Yeah. 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 I was the only one. I think actually he was being friendly. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Christopher had a night with somebody blowing in his face and somebody pulled all the covers off his bed. Now he's saying maybe it was him. I don't know. Uh, I had another son who brought his girlfriend to stay the night once and I put her in this middle room. And when she got up in the morning, she said, I'm never, ever coming back here again. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, Somebody pulled the blankets off the bed and then tried to pull me out of bed by my feet. She didn't come back. Um, I, I had a, an ensuite um, that yeah, I'd go, try and go to the toilet through the night and it would be locked. And you could only lock it from the inside. And I would have to get Christopher to climb in the window in the morning and unlock it. I never locked through the day or anything. <laughs> oh, how annoying. My goodness. <laughs> It was really scary. That scared me a bit. I thought, who's in there? Yes. (laughs) Constant things. Mm. Yeah. And so, Faye, you know, obviously you've just got a wealth of stories, but one story that particularly stands out to Mm. me as well is quite a beautiful experience with your mum's spirit. So Mm. your mum passed away. She was 98. And uh, was it 2014 that she passed away? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And yeah, tell us a little bit before you tell us the story of how you met her in spirit. Please do share a little bit about your mum, who you've touched on earlier, had some amazing healing gifts, which appear to have been passed down to Chris now. Yeah, she um, she used well, she used to see people and she used to some say that maybe they were angels or something. And uh, I told you she developed healing too. She, She was a really good healer. But she used to see people and she always described them as, oh, just being filled with light and surrounded by light. And she said it was so beautiful. I remember her telling me once she saw people from every country in the world and she said they seemed to be like a national dress. And she said I was showing them one by one, like a flash of 
somebody dressed like an Indian, flash, somebody dressed as, you know, whatever. And yep. she said, they just kept flashing. And in all this light, actually, I can tell you a really strange thing about my mum. And when she had eventually got Alzheimer's, which, I mean, that's another story. Yes. But I took her out for a walk one day before lunch. And there was a park bench amongst trees. And I took her there and we sat and, you know, looked around and I was chatting to her. Now, my mum at that stage was just talking absolute nonsense. She didn't know who I was. And, um, and suddenly she turned to me and she started talking about Jesus. This is the weirdest thing. I said, um, you know, when I'm gone, always remember to pray to Jesus. He'll always save you. And she gave me this lecture for 20 minutes and I had to stop it because I had to take it in for her lunch. Absolutely clearly, it was as if she had been taken over by her higher self and could talk to me again normally. And after she'd done it, she went back to being just us talking nonsense. Faye, that's really. amazing. So she, she was not lucid and then suddenly she was yeah. so lucid for about 20 minutes. That's extraordinary. Yeah. Was that shortly yeah. before she passed away? Um, no, okay. no, that would be a couple of years before okay. or something. And, um, but she, what's I going to say? Yeah, well, I went to visit my son in New Guinea. When I was away, away no wonder there's a royal commission, my mother, was, who was walking around when I left, was dying when I got back. And she, oh, I was so angry. This is what got me through uh, her death. That I was so furiously angry about what happened to her that she'd become ill. She got worse and worse and worse. They told me in the nursing home that she'd had a bit of a cold, but she was fine. Mm. She actually, I had her immediately taken into hospital, and she had double pneumonia, a oh. collapsed lung. Her organs were failing. She had sepsis, and she must have been in a lot of pain and mm. so ill, and yet they were dragging her out of bed dressing her and leaving her to sit in a chair all day. And uh, the morning where I knew she was dying, I got back and she was in bed and they'd taken, I had a big quilt I'd bought for her, they'd taken her off the bed. She had a sheet over her and a thin cotton blanket and they'd put a thin cotton nightdress on her with no sleeves. And it was winter, like, it was freezing. Oh, I was fuming and I went away down to the office and I said, what on earth is going on here? Actually, a girl told me weeks later that they had been told by management, I won't say any more of that, uh, to neglect my mother so she would die while I was gone and I wouldn't cause a fuss about it. Things that happened. That's anyway, appalling. Um, yes, so I had her taken into hospital. And um, I sat with her for oh, 14 hours. She died at about 4.30 but at four o'clock, there'd be no great change in her, and um, I, I was just freezing. I, I had gone to work, and I had a little sleeveless top on and a pair of shorts, and I said to one of the nurses, look, I have to go. I live near the hospital. I said, I, I won't be long. I just have to go and get some warm clothes. I said, there's been no change in her, and they said, okay, and I went and got into my car, and it wouldn't start. I'd had no problems with it before. Mm. <laughs> but it would not start. And I thought, oh, she's going to die. And I reckon it was my father who did that. Mm. <clears throat> so 
I had to go back and ring the doorbell, you know, they had to come and allow me back in. And the nurse said to me, well, you weren't gone long. I said, I've got to come back. My mum's dying now. She's going to die very quickly. And I said, my car wouldn't start. That's a sure sign. And she looked at me and she said, you bring me out in goosebumps. (laughs) Anyway. I hurried back in and yeah, she died five minutes later. Oh and, my gosh, um, Faye. So, oh, what, what was her name, Faye? Because it's a beautiful name, your mum. Euphemia. Euphemia. It's... Yeah, I was given the same name. I've got the same name. Yes, yeah, uh, so you're Faye for short, but she was Effie for short, I think you said. Yeah, but they called me Effie when I was a child and uh, I, I hated it, so I changed it to say, now I don't mind Effie so much, but we used to get in a lot of trouble, like I'd been sitting around at the doctor's for about two hours for some appointment I'd been called in to have to discover it was actually for my mother, not me at all. Right, right. So, yeah, it caused a lot of problems. Okay, yes. so yeah, so then what happened? Well, I wanted to take my mother back to Scotland after she died. And um, I went, I, I got, took her ashes back to Scotland um, and I met up with all my cousins. So that was all of the family dead, all the parents were dead. And um, we took my mother, she came from Perthshire and it is the most beautiful place, beautiful. And we went to our grandparents' um, grave uh, because... Uh, my mum's sister, she'd a sister in America and she had died a few years before and they had sent some of her ashes over and my uncle, who by then was also dead, he had buried those ashes in with the parents. So we decided we'd do that because my mum adores our parents and we decided that we would take some of our ashes and we'd also bury some of them in with our parents mm. and there was a baby they'd had and it had was still born and it was in there some of my aunt (laughs) and some of my mother we'd taken um a bottle of whiskey and we all had a glass and we decided we'd toast to the family oh it was weird and it was we call it a dreek day in scotland just totally overcast you know heavy clouds overcast not a breeze. It was, it was totally still and, of course, no sign of sun or anything like that. And so we lifted up a glass and I made a toast to my mother and to all of our family, you know, who died. And to our astonishment, the clouds parted just over the grave and us and the sun Oh, I even talk about it. It's amazing. It's very the amazing. sun mm, shone down on the grave mm. and us, and we were just oh, you know, was, can't believe it. And um, when we left, we still had some of my mum's ashes, and she used to play. And this is where, when she was a child, she she saw things from a child too. She said that she saw angels coming down from the sky and into the fields. And they lived out in the country, you know, and um, they used to go and paddle in the river and all this sort of thing. And um, so I wanted her ashes to go in that river and we took them to, it's like waterfalls and it's called the Bracklin Falls in Perthshire. And there's a little bridge over it. 
So we all went to the bridge and my cousin Tom said, look, do you want me to empty your mum's ashes out? And I said, yeah, you do, Tom. So he leaned right over the bridge and emptied the ashes into the river, but they didn't go into the river. Instead, they rose up and right up above our heads, just <laughs> to stop there, and then slowly went down, not in the river, above it, still in the air, just slowly went away, way down the river, and I just sank. And my cousin Tom, he said to me, he said, well, I've never known whether to believe these things or not, but he said, today, he said, I really believe that there's something else out there. Yes. It's just totally changed, you know. What an amazing, it. amazing experience. Mm -hmm. It was really weird. We just felt as if all the family were there. and um, But then after that, uh, yeah, I had a unit. I was living in a unit. And I used to feel my mother in that in there with me. She used to come in the afternoon. Um, at that stage, I was writing all these letters of complaint about her. I was furious about what happened to her. And, and oh, it was just awful. And, I used to, I think I used to exhaust myself with it and I yes. often used to fall asleep in the couch in the afternoon. And you know when you're in that kind of half half asleep stage, that's often when things happen. Yes. And I used to I'd be sitting with my eyes shut and I knew my mum was sitting on the couch. I could sense her there. But I didn't it didn't dawn on me she was dead. Mm. You know, it was just so natural for her to be sitting there and I used to think Oh, my mum's there, and I'd fall asleep. Sometimes um, I thought, oh, she's in the kitchen making a cup of tea. I better waking up. It's weird things like that. But that went on for three years, and then yeah. she disappeared. And I thought, oh, she's gone, she's gone. And then one night I was sleeping, and I wakened up uh, through the night, Oh, no, I don't, sorry, I didn't wake up, what am I talking about? In my dream, I wakened up. But, mm. you know, there's dreams in what I call psychic dreams. Yes. Uh, and this was a psychic dream, and I have no doubt it happened. So I dreamt that I got up, and um, there were two dogs, weird, I don't know what this is to do with it, there were two dogs lying behind my bedroom door. And they were kind of talking to themselves, you know, kind of, you know, kind of growly, like that. And I thought, what on earth, what dogs are those? I couldn't make them out because it was dark. And I thought, dogs are they? Anyway, I opened the bedroom door and I went out into the lounge and there was my mother. And, oh my God, she, this, this has been the, biggest, the main experience of my life, because it was, she was, as she had described, these angelic beings that she talked about, that she had seen, mm. she was one of them, and it was as if she had what I call fissures in her mm. body, like there was splits, her body was filled with light, and it was coming out of those fishes mm. and beaming out all round her mm. great beams of light and um, she came up and she put her arms around me 
And the love, oh, oh, I can't even talk about it now. Never felt anything like it. And it was her last farewell to me. And, and then I wakened up, and oh, it was so real. But it was just amazing. I was so pleased to see her as that light being, this light being that she had talked about so much. And uh, oh, I'll never ever go over that experience. It's beautiful, Faye. It was really good. And, but I've never felt her since. I've never seen her since. In fact, it's Christopher, would you believe, who apparently she, we've been told she's visiting him <laughs> and helping him. And I've been told my father's around me a lot. And I, I came home one night. I'd, I'd seen this medium who said, you know, your father's with you a lot. And I said, is he? No, I didn't know. And I came into the house and sat on the couch and the TV went on. And I said, okay. And then the channel changed. Oh. And I said, so it is you. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's very beautiful. And your, that, that key moment with your mum is so special as well because you had been in such grief and such pain and turmoil about her passing and it's, it is as if she gave you a gift with that appearance. She did. Yeah. She did. She would have known yes. how I felt. It was like, I still can hardly talk about it. <laughs> yes, and that's, yeah, I can understand because it is truly beautiful. It does bring tears to my eyes. And I didn't know your mum and I would have loved to have known uh -huh. her. But So given, Faye, all of your myriad experiences, and, of course, we haven't had time to touch on them all today, but, you know, what you've given <laughs> us is just amazing. But given all of that, what do you believe happens after we die? I believe in reincarnation. Mm. And I think, well, I was brought up with that. And my mother always told me that life is a learning lesson. We're here to learn. We're here to spiritually develop. Um, and, um, and that's what I believe in. And I think we can be reincarnated, not only on Earth. I think we can be reincarnated in other planets. Mm -hmm. And I mean, my mind's way out there now with a lot of things and um, and I think we keep coming back uh, to learn more and more and more and it's a sort of spiritual development. Yes and um, do you have any thoughts on why some of us like you can yeah. see spirits looking as flesh and blood as you know people yeah. as people and others just might just have a mere sense of something? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if it's Maybe they're younger spirits. Maybe it's older spirits that see more things. I, I, yeah, it's really difficult. But I think a lot of people don't open themselves okay. to it. Yes, I've yes. Got, I've, also, you know, I've got a friend who's, um, I mean, he's an academic. He's gold medals for him. He's genius. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I say to him, uh, talk to him about these things, and he poo-poo's me all the time. Oh, rubbish, he said. But he said, I have a scientific brain. And he said, I can't accept yes. anything like that. And he does literally close himself off. Yes. I said, well, when you die, I said, I'm going to be interested to, you know, I'd love to see your reaction when you discover you're completely wrong. Yeah, you're still alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't know why. I do think people close themselves down. I think people are afraid too. I think there yes. are people who are frightened. And so they, they just close themselves off but yeah maybe it has to also do with 
uh, well, I do think it runs in families. Yes, definitely. But you can also develop some of this. Mm. Um, I don't know. People are afraid of it. They don't. A lot of people just don't want to know things like that. Yes. And would you say, yeah. Faye, is there one sort of overarching message behind all of your experiences? What's, I'm just wondering what you would like our listeners to take away from, from our conversation today. Mm. Yes. Be good. <laughs> be kind. Be compassionate. That's beautiful. Well, there's there's not much more to add to that. That is, um, yeah, it's it seems simple, but if we could only live in that way, how different things would yeah. be. Yes. That's right. And, and how when you die, how you move on, what happens to you next? Uh, you don't want to be doing bad things, believe me. That's right. That's it, yeah. So, yeah, well, yes. be compassionate. And that's what the Buddhists say. Yes. Compassion is everything, and it? it truly is. Oh, well, Faye, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today on the Spirit Sisters podcast. It's been fun, a delight, and true, you're a beautiful storyteller, so thank you so very much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, then. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.